Psalm 116. Now, as Andy has really helpfully uh, reminded us, that when we read uh, the Old Testament scriptures and they speak of God's deliverances in life, they point forward to the ultimate deliverance we have in Jesus. And it is the ultimate deliverance because it is the deliverance that reconciles us to God. And it is the deliverance that uh, is not able to be uh, broken or taken from us even by death. It is the deliverance to everlasting life. Normally, or often in a sermon on the Psalms, we get to that at the end of the Sermon on the Psalms, and rightly so. What I want to do is, in a sense, have that as our frame. If you are in Jesus Christ tonight, if you are a Christian, if you have trusted him for forgiveness and life, then nothing, nothing in this life will separate you from his love and eternal life, not even death. Now that's the perspective, that's the truth, that's the frame that I'd like us to read this psalm and read it as it refers to the everyday stuff of life. See what I mean? Rather than let this get us to the ultimate rescue, let's start with the ultimate rescue and let us allow God's Word to minister to us in the everyday of life. Stuff like this week as a Christian or last year as a Christian. So let's read it. I'll read it at the start and then we'll read it together at the end. So let me read for us Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. You see what, how that works, that ultimately, of course, that's expressed in I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my plea for the forgiveness of my sins. Now, in that context, with the big rescue, think of it in the day-to-day -day stuff of life. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. 
I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. That's a wonderful verse. That's real life, isn't it? I am greatly afflicted. And I still believed. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What then shall I render or give to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Our Father, we pray that as we study this psalm together, we would hear uh, your voice clearly and be able to sing or pray this psalm ourselves as individuals with real clarity and real understanding. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, as we come towards the end of another church year, which I guess we work on the basis of the school year, um, as the minister, as the pastor-teacher of this congregation, along with others who are up here week by week and along with all our elders, I uh, find myself giving thanks to God for his blessing, his guidance over the past uh, year. This weekend, I've been away in another city working with another church, and that's a great way of thinking about the church where you are the pastor of. And as I came back on the train and went back up and came back on the train for a few days, it allowed me to look back over the past year and give thanks to God for progress, for the fruitfulness of initiatives that have reached out with the gospel, so stuff like impact here in a Friday, established and thriving again, kids' work. For uh, Jason and Rebecca and their children getting back to uh, what we referred to this morning as the big country. I'll leave you to work out where that is. A dangerous place to go. But this evening, I want to give thanks as a church family not for progress in spiritual endeavor, but for progress in our lives as Christians and God's presence in our lives as Christians. I was looking out uh, just as we were singing, um, I get to look at you every week from here or most weeks. And I was trying to count up the number of people in whose lives the last year has proved faith or has proved this psalm. And I lost count. It's interesting that 
of those in our church family for whom this is most evidently true, you all just happen to be here tonight. There are many here tonight and others who have battled through circumstances in the past year. And you could well echo the words in the middle of the psalm. I think they're wonderful words. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I still believe tonight. I still believe. And that is not because you or my faith is strong. It is because the Holy Spirit indwells us in our capacity for endurance and constancy and trust and commitment to the Lord is supernatural. There are many who have battled through circumstances unknown to almost everybody. There are some of you here this evening in the eye of a storm or whatever. Now, God is concerned for progress. He is 100% committed to evangelism, to throwing out the lifeline of salvation to those in peril in the sea of life. God is concerned for progress, but God is also concerned, passionately concerned, that his people, his children, know his presence and his care and his compassion and his companionship through the daily struggles of life in this world. And that is the assurance and the encouragement that I want us to find from this psalm today. Now, verses 1 and 2, just look at them with me again, are a little bit like an introduction to the psalm. They summarize the main theme of the psalm, which is then amplified, reflected on in more detail in the verses that follow. Let me read the two verses again. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. And what the writer is doing is focusing or reflecting on an aspect of God's character that has meant so much to him, an aspect of his relationship with his God that has brought him through tough times and that has led him to express in a deeper way his devoted love and confidence in God. And the aspect of God's character that the writer is referring to is that God listens when we turn to him. He doesn't always answer our prayers as we would like, but he listens. Just look at what it says. God heard my voice. God heard my plea or my cry for mercy. And notice how different they are. God heard my voice. And God heard my cry for mercy. One is an expression of a need to God. The other one is an anguished outpouring of a heart to God. God inclined or turned his ear to me. Now, I don't think that when you are in the middle of stuff in life, you are acutely conscious that God is listening. I think as you look back 
you look back and you see even over a year that God heard, that God listened, that God inclined his ear to me. And people being sustained through difficult times is indicative that the Lord sustained them. And all over a church, a normal church like this, people pray for them. And they find themselves at the end of a period of time sustained. Because the Lord heard my voice. The Lord heard my plea or cry for mercy. God inclined or turned his ear to me. It is a profoundly comforting thing for us as Christians that God is a listening God. We make a great deal of the fact that God is a speaking God. But he's a listening God. It's not a dialogue till he works out his will, but he listens to our pleas, our prayers, our cries. He even listens to us when we groan, when we can't think of the words to say. It is a profound comfort that God is a listening God. God is not indifferent to our pain and our struggles. He is not unconcerned with the circumstances of our lives as individuals. And reflecting on this experience, the writer expresses his committed love for the Lord. I love the Lord. That's what we were looking at this morning. I love the Lord. I turned to John Shearer this morning, who is the preacher, and uh, I was sitting beside him, and I said, John, thank you for reminding me that I really do love Jesus, and I do, and that's what makes me want to keep going in the Christian life. And of course, it's true, isn't it? I will call on him as long as I live. Now, as you look back on the circumstances of your life as a Christian, God hears us. Here's a paradox. Why is it that the Christians who are struggling the most are the ones, and I look out on many of them here tonight, who seem to defy all the odds and are able to sit here tonight and say, I love the Lord. I will call on him as long as I live. The answer is because faith is real. That's supernatural. And Christ lives in us. And he really does give us peace as an answer to prayer. And he gets us through stuff that we think we wouldn't get through. And we look back and we say, he did hear me and I love him. Now, in these first two verses, if they are an introduction, verses 3 to 11 just amplify on the particular circumstances in the writer's life that have resulted in this psalm. And they, they take us away from the principle to the practice of uh, how it was over the past year. It's fine to stand at the end and look back. It's quite another to relive it. There are kind of personal testimony that travel through the months as he looks back at the distress and anguish of his experience and remembers God's gracious. One of the things that is good for us never to do as Christians is block out hard stuff from the past. 
It's good to reflect on it and face up to it and remember that God got us through it. So in verse 3, he relives the anguish of the crisis. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Now, as to what the particular situation was in the writer's life that it caused him to experience such anguish and desperation, we don't know. Oftentimes in the Psalms, the particular issue is identified. For example, life-threatening illness the experience of hostility and opposition because of faith. And just to say that very often, more often than not in the Christian life, if that's the issue we face, life-threatening illness, God does not deliver us from it. He causes us to say in the midst of it, I love you. How can that be? He sustains us. He delivers us in it. All through life. And that matters more because if he delivers us from life-threatening illness, and sometimes he does, we'll still die. There is nothing more profound to see than someone who has experienced or is experiencing life-threatening illness, singing or praying these words. Maybe you feel right now distress and anguish. In other words, you're not looking back at that point in March when you did. You're feeling it now. Distress and anguish. Here's perhaps what you haven't done and what needs to come next. Verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Soul. Deliver my spiritual being through this situation. Ultimately, of course, that's salvation. Deliver my soul. Now there are instructive things for us to learn here. We need uh, to never see this as some kind of mechanistic process. That's why preaching happens in churches, because the mechanistic sort of process stuff just melts away when you look at the people around you. Now, think back to tough times in your life, even this year. If you are like me, and I suspect you are, we're all sheep. We all wander in the same directions of error. Uh, our first impulse or our first response is not usually to turn to God in prayer in the depths of our sorrows. That's why we need other people to do it for us and with us. Just to say that praying with us is a blessing better than praying for us. It's a great thing to be able to pray together. It can be many days or weeks or months before we turn to God in humble dependence, crying to him for help. And we forfeit peace. We bear needless pain. It's not because God is a kind of killjoy or an ogre that says, they will not pray, I will not give them peace. I don't understand or can explain that mechanism to us. 
I just know from God's word that when we humble ourselves before him and confess our needs and empty ourselves and pour out our burdens, he will hear us and answer us and give us his peace. I know that from God's word, and I've seen it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in people's lives and my own. The reluctance often on our part to turn to God, to trust him in the middle of some storm, is often because we question God. And the very foundation of our faith can be tested to the core. We doubt God's love. We are angry towards God. I think that's what uh, the psalmist is talking about in verses 10 and 11. I'm not sure really what he's talking about, so somebody can tell me afterwards. <laughs> you see, when he says, I believe, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted, I just wonder if that's him just wrestling with the why question. Why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? But notice the first part of verse 10, I believed even when I said that. And what does verse 11 mean? I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. I wonder if that's him saying that I wish all these people would stop giving me spiritual advice. I don't know what it means. You know, when people say to you when you're really struggling, well, the Lord's got a purpose in it. Yes, he does. But I don't know what it is. And I can't see it through the rain. I can't feel it. Is God abandoning me or God doesn't care? That's real stuff in verses 10 and 11. But in the end, in an utter desperation, we turn brokenhearted, verse 4, on our knees to God, O Lord, save my soul. And you surely have been there in life. I have been there in life this year when you turn to God in the middle of some turmoil in your life as a Christian, and you just give your soul to God. You just say, God, come on. I cannot do this. I just can't do it. Help me. Now, in verses 7 to 9, the writer recalls his experience, his sense of peace after he had turned to God in prayer. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But before that, in verses 5 to 6, he reflects on the character of God, the characteristics of God which prompted his saving answer. So verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Now, we are quick often to speak of the dangers of an over-familiarity, a casualness in our attitude to God, a lack of reverence for God. That's right, I think. But there is also a danger, and I think it's true of us just as much, of a lack of familiarity with God, the feeling that he is distant or unapproachable, that we cannot come to him with our concerns and anxieties, the battles and struggles of the daily grind. I was with a, 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 an older lady in the church this week, don't tell her I'm telling you this, and she, she said to me, God is not concerned for me. Yes, he is. Absolutely, he's your father, and he loves you. The language of adoption in the Bible, as Christians we are part of God's family. Families bear with one another, care, 
God is a caring father, never unconcerned with the concerns in our lives. He is full of compassion. His reservoirs of compassion are deep. Verses 7 to 9, the writer recalls God's answer to his prayer for rescue. This is when, this is when not his situation, or maybe in his case the situation did go, but most often for us, and this is what the Psalms express, it's not that the situation has changed, but our attitude to it or our perception of it or our approach to it has changed. And the change is because we are reminded of who God is. And then we go away thinking differently. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my ears, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It's a bit like the psalmist wakes up in the middle of the night. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, it's good to read a psalm. Best advice I've ever had is never look at your phone. Read a psalm. It's almost as if the if he was a Christian, the writer wakes up in verses 7 to 19 and realizes he's converted. His soul is safe. Go back to sleep. Knowing your soul is safe. Nothing can touch you in the end. And in the land of the living, I will walk before the Lord. Notice the first answer to prayer, return, O my soul, to your rest, soul rest, soul security, is the first answer to prayer. That rest, assured knowledge that all is well, that our souls are secure, that God is on our side. These great hymns, be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to the Lord in ordering and provide in every change he faithful will uh, remain that's real christianity notice what it doesn't say be still my soul the lord is on thy side he promises to take away the cross and the pain be still my soul bear patiently the cross of grief or pain ultimately of course he takes away death and gives us everlasting life but in this life, he most often gives us the resources to bear patiently the cross and the grief and the pain. He may deliver us from the storm, but for the Christian, there is the uh, deliverance in the storm. One of the greatest uh, privileges of Christian ministry is being with people when they die. I mean, I don't need to convince you that that's a privilege. One of our team this week was with a family who had a stillborn child. And how on earth can a family like that be steady, at peace, with tears, with grief, but not as the world grieves. And how on earth, when I 
I have strange conversations with people when they nearly die. Sinclair Graham, some of you remember Sinclair? His best one ever to me was, Robin, I just want to ask you this really important question. Now that I've only got a few weeks to live, is it wrong for me to keep watching Countdown? <laughs> I said, just to show you it's not, Sinclair, we'll watch it together. And he was just saying, look, should I be doing that when there are people to speak to about Jesus? So we did watch Countdown. And as he came near the end of his life, he said, I said, are you afraid? And he said, no, stop asking me. You're more afraid than me. Now, what, what do we make of that? That's not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It can't be. It just can't be. It can't be when the person who's supposed to be caring for him is more afraid than him. And he took my hand because the Holy Spirit almost overwhelms him in that dark valley and is right there with him. Now, that's real faith, real Christianity, and that's written all over these Psalms. Now, verses 12 to 19, and with this we draw to a close. Having looked back over the last year or last issue or last period or even today, what of the future? What of the now? What shall I render to the Lord, verse 12, for all his benefits to me? It's lovely how the way the psalm ends. It doesn't allow us the sort of, the, the danger of, 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 of stopping in the point of, God has helped me. God has blessed me. It's so outrageous, the psalm. It leads us to render our thanks and our lives back to God. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? This morning we heard, what shall I render to the Lord for his love for me, love for him? Love the Lord. So what the psalmist says at the beginning, in the middle of his anguish, I love you, Jesus. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? His answer is expressed in four statements, each beginning with the words, I will. They're like vows or promises. I do. I will. Verses 13, 14, 17, and 18. Now, this is how Hebrew poetry works. Verses 13 and 17 function as a pair with the same idea expressed in both in case you forgot it the first time, and verses 14 and 18 also function as a prayer. So look at me. Firstly, uh, the first way to thank God, the first way to look forward, the first way to respond to our reflection on our lives as Christians tonight is to thank God by receiving and enjoying the privileges of salvation, His overflowing grace and mercy. We give nothing to God except the joyful acceptance of the cup of salvation, verse 15, which he offers us. And that is stated in verses 13 and 17 and is expressed in the statement, I will call on the name of the Lord. That is, I will live in reliance on this faithful covenant God. He is the God who keeps the promises that he makes. It's almost like the psalmist is encouraging us as we go home tonight to, to mutter as we walk up and down Morningside Road. You should try it. I 
call on the name of the Lord. Or you are my God, you are my rock, you are my saviour. I love you, I trust you, I know you will never leave me nor forsake me. Second way to thank God is to fulfill my vows to him, expressed in verses 14 and 18. And so gratitude is best articulated by obedience. I will pay, verse 14, my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So if the first response to God's presence with us is to relish the privileges of salvation, to call on the name of the Lord, to remember, to articulate, to express even audibly all the blessings we have as Christians. The second is obedience, to do what he says. I pay my vows to the Lord. And thirdly, in between these two affirmations, there are two reflective verses, 15 and 16, which remember how great this deliverance really was and how it confirms the psalmist's relationship to the God who came to his rescue. Verse 16, truly I am your servant. And to be brought to that conclusion is reason enough for the final hallelujah, the final praise to the Lord in verse 19. In the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let me read 15 and 16 and then followed by that again. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bones in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Isn't it striking that he shifts in the psalm from speaking of deliverance to speaking of how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now that makes something that describes real Christianity even more real at the end. Because as we lie on our deathbeds, whenever that is, and look back on our life, there will be many deliverances. There will be many times when the Lord has heard and answered our prayer and our hearts have flooded with peace many times. But the greatest deliverance is from what separates us from God, which is sin. And the greatest deliverance is from the wages of sin, which is death. And that's the perspective that leads us to the conclusion in verse 19, praise the Lord. Let me encourage those of you who aren't Christians to look around at the people around you who are. They are no different from you. Apart from in these big, big, big ways. 
peace, confidence in the Lord, and deliverance from death to everlasting life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the heart felt expression of these issues on the part of the writer. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you will have spoken to our hearts, to those of us who are Christians. As we look back, we have much to be thankful for, for the fact that you heard, you answered, not always the ways we wanted, but we stand here today and we can still say, I believe, I love you, God. Maybe, though, we're not in the position of looking back with faith strengthened, but we're right in the middle of the anguish, and we can't say, we might not even be able to say, look, I love you, Jesus, and I know that all these things work out for my good and your glory. Help us, Lord, to pour out our hearts to you, to ask for help. Help us to speak to those around us who can care for us. And Lord, as we face up in another church, Lear, in this normal church, to all the battle scars of life and death, we thank you that there is in Jesus Christ the ultimate rescue, not from the ups and downs of life, but from our eternal separation from God through sin and from the everlasting consequence of that, which is death and then judgment. Help us not to play with that fire. Help us to make our peace with God through Jesus. And show us, Lord, quickly, if we do, the wonderful blessings that come from knowing him. And we pray these things for his sake. And in his name, amen.